Welcome to The Church Door, a place where I can post my Bible studies and sermons for your listening pleasure. I'm the Reverend Matthew Fenn, pastor of St. Peter's Evangelical Lutheran Church in Stratford, Ontario. Thanks for tuning us in. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All of the best-known saints get their own special days, don't they? Think of, and, and those days usually occur on the day they die. And so, on February 14th, we celebrate St. Valentine's Day. St. Valentine, a deacon in the early church who was martyred. And so, he was martyred on February 14th, and so we have a remembrance for him. Or, on March 17th. What's March 17th? St. Patrick's. St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick, the, er, the missionary who converted the Irish people. He gets a day on March 17th, the day he died. All of the holy apostles get special days. The Virgin Mary gets a special day on August 15th. They all have their special days. But All Saints Day is a day to commemorate, to remember all of the unnamed saints, all the saints we forgot about from time and place. Today, in many congregations throughout the world, we'll also remember our own loved ones who have died through the past year and died in the faith. And if you die in the faith, that makes you a saint. Well, you're a saint now, too. And that's what we'll be doing today. But I want you to see that the Apostle John, in his first letter, reminds us that celebrating all the saints includes remembering the living as well. Every baptized Christian is included in the company with all, of all the saints that have gone before us. And all of us, hopefully, will be gathered together before the Lamb's throne to worship Him. And so this morning, we're going to look at our epistle reading. It's going to explain to us three things. It's going to tell us, first, who we are. It's going to tell us, second, what our future will be. And it tells us, third, what will happen to us in the meantime. The first thing the Apostle John wants you to know is exactly who you are. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. It's already remarkable that God forgives sinners. That he redeems us. While we were still enemies, Paul says, Christ died for us. That's remarkable in and of itself. But God takes the next step. He goes even farther. He adopts us as his children. Imagine a, a, a judge in the courtroom. Not only does the judge pardon the convicted criminal, he also adopts him as his own child, brings him into his house, feeds him, and gives him a place to stay. That's the image here. God's love is showered upon us. 
poor, miserable sinners though we are. We don't deserve God's love. We don't deserve his grace. And yet he gives it to us freely anyway. God's love towards you is lavish. God's care for you is extravagant. The creator God, through holy baptism, has made you his child. All baptized Christians are children of the Almighty. And why, why have you been adopted as God's children? Because of the love of God the Father. This love is a gift. There's a word here in our text, and it's a great word. And that word is given. God's love is not just shown to you. No, no. He says it is given to us. It's a gift. Freely given. A gift of God imparted to you. His love makes you his dear children. Consider for a moment what God did to make you his child. He sent his only son to be born as a human, to live a life in our place, to die the death we should have died. He reconciles us to the Father through his blood. How many of you through your lives have seen broken families, destroyed relationships? How many of you have seen some broken relationships actually get mended and restored? Doesn't happen quite as often as the other, does it? Well, we have a broken relationship with God our Father. And Jesus Christ comes and helps mend that broken relationship. That's how much God loves us. So that through the blood of Jesus, we can be called his sons and daughters. John says that we are called children of God. But not only do we have that name, John says more. He says, and so we are. We are what God calls us. You are God's children. We cannot be called God's children if we are not actually God's children. That means that you are a member of God's household, his family, not only in name, but actually in fact. This means that God relates to you like a father, and you relate to God as his child. Our small catechism puts it, God tenderly invites us to believe that he is our true father and that we are his true children. Think about being someone who maybe is homeless and all of a sudden being adopted by the king, brought into a lavish house, showered with love and care. Dear Christian, you have a God who deeply loves you, who tenderly cares for you, and he is your father. That tells us a lot. That tells you a lot about who God is, what God's like, and it tells you what your identity is. We are God's children, members of his family. Not only in name, but also in fact. To be Christians, to function as 
Christians, we must know who we are. No matter what your problems might be, no matter what you're going through or facing at the moment, no matter how dark times might get for you, God is your father. You are his child. God has already given you the most important thing. You are God's child now, today. So God, so for John first tells us who we are. We, through holy baptism, are God's dear children. But what will we be like in the future? Well, the common answer is, well, we'll die and then we'll go to heaven. However, that's, John gives us an answer that's just a little bit more complicated than that. Let's look, look at how he answers. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. So did you notice that he doesn't mention going to heaven when you die? Not specifically. Instead, what does John want us to think about? For our future. Think for a moment about how God sent his son. He sent him to be a disembodied spirit on earth, right? You're thinking, no, pastor, I don't remember that. No, he sent us, he, he sent his son to be born as a human being, right? Born of the Virgin Mary, right? That's what we just confessed in the creed. God didn't save us by waving a magic wand or pronouncing an edict from heaven. No, he came in the flesh. And our flesh will be redeemed. Simply put, Jesus saves your body too. He doesn't just save your soul. Jesus comes to save both body and soul. John tells us that this is bait, tells us to look at the resurrected body of Jesus. Our bodies will be saved because Christ's human body broke out of that hillside tomb. So going to heaven when you die is not the main goal. Think about the thief on the cross next to Jesus. What was he promised? He was promised, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus hints at the pattern of events, what's going to happen. When we die, as Christians, where do we go? To paradise, to heaven as we might call it. But that's not all. Did Jesus remain a disembodied spirit with the thief in heaven? No, what happened on the third day after Jesus died? He rose again. He rose again bodily. The same body that was crucified walked out of that tomb. So if you want to, and, and the resurrection of the body is future for everybody else except for Jesus. He's already been raised from the dead. So if you want to talk about going to heaven when you die, we should be clear that going to heaven when you die is only temporary. Heaven is the place where Christians go 
after the de after death of the body and before resurrection. Heaven's not your home. You're just passing through. So your departed loved ones and the saints of old, they are in paradise. They are in heaven waiting for the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, as we say in the Apostles' Creed. So what's the goal then? What's the point then, Pastor, if it's not just to be a disembodied soul on a cloud plucking a harp? The goal is to be resurrected, to be raised from the dead and transformed to be like Jesus. What's that going to be like? John says clearly that we don't know all the details. But we do know some things. We will be like Jesus. Think of the risen Jesus. He was the same, yet different. He wasn't a ghost. He could eat and be touched. He was raised. Don't think of us. What will we be like? Kind of like we are, but kind of different. Physical, embodied, but no longer subject to sickness and death. No more crying or tears. Able to eat and drink and to celebrate the joys of God's creation, but no longer lured by sin, no longer seduced by this world, no longer abusing creation or lusting after these things. We will be like Jesus. So John has told us, first, who we are. We are children of God. He has told us, second, what, will we, what will, we will be like in the future. We will be like Jesus. What happens in the meantime? Being God's children brings us into conflict with the world. John says, the reason why the world does not know us is it does not know him. It should be no surprise that the same world that rejected Jesus is going to reject us if we follow him. The children of the world and the children of God then are going to be quite different. There's going to be a different way of looking at the world. There's going to be a different set of values and a different set of priorities. The world is completely confused by Christians. Why? Because Christians say that your first and primary identity before anything else is that you are a baptized child of God. You're a Christian. That's important. That comes first. And that confuses the world. The world cannot appreciate or understand that Christian Christians, because they don't get what makes us tick. The world has not accepted God, and it has not accepted Christ. And so that means that it cannot accept you as a child of God. That means that you live in a hostile environment, because the world does not believe. The world will misunderstand and reject and persecute you because you are a child of God. And that's exactly what they already did to Jesus. They persecuted, rejected, and misunderstood Jesus. So our identity as God's children 
does more, though, than just bring us into conflict with the world. John finishes up by writing, Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. John says that there's a responsibility that we have. And that responsibility is to purify ourselves. This means we need to fight to get rid of those inappropriate actions and thoughts and words and deeds, and to live like God's children. This is talking about sanctification. In the end, we have the hope of being like Christ. That should inspire and empower Christ-like living now. Claiming that we are God's children, and then that, and we have the, the hope of the resurrection, and yet refusing to live a Christian life is lying. Those who aren't interested in trying to live like Christians, or who refuse to, who are not concerned about their sin, they should question their future even if they claim to be Christians. Now, let's be clear. Only the blood of Christ can cleanse you of your stain of sin and the guilt of it. Only the love of God makes you a child of God. Only the love of God makes you like Jesus on the resurrection not how much you purify yourself. Because as much as you purify yourself here, there's still going to be a long way to go. But we still have a part to play in this life. Think about our catechism. What does such baptism with water indicate? It indicates that the old Adam in us, through daily contrition and repentance, should be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires, and that a new man should daily arise and emerge to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. So, we are God's children because of God's extravagant love for us. He has given us the hope of everlasting life and a bodily resurrection. That should change your life here and now. Who are we? We are the children of God right now. What will we be? In the coming age, we will be like Christ in his resurrection. And in the meantime, this brings us into conflict with the world, and this gives us hope and joy. It gives us the power, and it gives us the purpose to live a Christian life. This hope calls us to holiness as God's saints, as his holy people, and as children of God. So dear brothers and sisters, you are God's children. May that peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to The Church Door. Thanks again for tuning in. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, you can reach me, Pastor Matthew Fenn, at revfenn, R-E-V-F-E-N-N, at iCloud.com. 
look forward to having you with us again next time.